Welcome to the Emblem Support Podcast. Born under the Red Wolf Moon, it is I, Ordo, and born under the Blue Sea Moon, it is my good old companion, Cardwiz. Build an army, trust no one, except for us. This is the Emblem Support Podcast, and my goodness, Three Houses has only been out for a, less than a couple of months, and already news in the world of Fire Emblem has pushed it aside for the new, truly next great Fire Emblem game has been announced! Are you ready to go to Tokyo? Oh, yes. I thought it would never happen. It seemed like one of those holdouts that's just like, well, Alice doesn't seem interested. They're busy with Persona 5 and whatever Shin Megami Tensei 5 is supposed to be. And out of nowhere, they're just like, hey, Tokyo Mirage Sessions Encore Edition. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, finally. Tokyo, I think you mean Tokyo Mirage Sessions uh, Sharp FE Encore? Yeah, yeah. We need that sharp FE because we need to tell everyone it's Fire Emblem in the weirdest way possible, most confusing way possible. Let everyone know this is kind of a Fire Emblem ish game. That's right, folks. It is a sharp symbol, not a hashtag. Because I I was listening to some podcasts and they're like, yeah, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, hashtag FE. It's like, no, it's sharp. Nah, we're going to go full music nerd on this. It's a sharp symbol. Because I played trombone in high school. And you're a uh, musical theater major. Heck yeah, I know what those little symbols mean. I know what that, I know what the little bird eye means. I know what that weird little uh, half note symbol that's backwards is. Quarter notes, half notes, time signatures, sharps, flats, A scales, B scales, C scales, D scales, E scales, F scales, G scales, major scales, minor scales. We could go all day with this. Don't forget the little fractions that are at the start of each piece and that sometimes change in the middle of the piece for some reason. Ah, Those time no- signatures. <laughs> uh, if only we... Why couldn't the Tokyo Mirage sections have incorporated more of that? Well, who knows? Maybe the Encore Edition will. Maybe the Encore Edition will satisfy the music nerd in me. Yeah, well, from the from the looks of that brief little preview we got, it looks like uh, Tiki will be a playable unit in, uh, or not a playable unit, but some kind of playable performa in some sort of fashion. She wasn't, well, she was like one of the central parts of the story in like the original game. Um, she was only part of like one attack, and it was with, uh, gosh, I can't think of what her name was. Was it Mamori? Mamoru? Something like that? I think it was her. I don't, re- I don't remember any of their names. Well, I, I uh, remember, I remember Itsuki... Subasa, Eleonora, and we cannot forget the best archer of all time, Virian. Virian is in the game. We're going to get all the love from all the games everyone loves, like Awakening and the original Fire Emblem, and pretty much no other games get much representation in that game. But still, we're going to get a little bit of Fire Emblem of coming soon to your Nintendo Switch. I think once it gets closer to that game, we'll actually do like maybe a, a proper podcast about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, and of course we'll move on in a second, but I will say the weird thing about Tokyo Mirage Sessions is that, you know, it's all about the performance industry, the music and all that and stuff. How was a dancer persona or performa, whatever you want to call it, how was a dancer performa not a part of this game? There are no dancers, no, no bard classes at all. There, there are, that's just one of the things on the list of things I could have nitpicks and gripes about that game. But overall, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I thought was a darn good game. A, a good like it's more in the line of the Shimigami Tensei rather than Fire Emblem or Persona like some people were hoping for leading up to the game but 
it, it is a good dungeon crawler. I love the battle elements. Oh, and one more thing that we I think they were adding, if I remember correctly from the train from the trailer, your trainer, that big guy, I think he also gets to be a part of some attacks. Oh, he already was. He's a part of uh I think another one of Mamoru's attacks. I can't I'm sorry, I keep calling her Mamoru. I can't remember what her name is. I remember no names from that game. All I remember that there was a blonde girl who hung out with Burian and she had some of my favorite quotes in that game. I just remember constantly taking screenshots of some of the things she said because they always just tickled my funny bone. You still send me stuff of hers. Heck yeah. She she has one of my all-time favorite quotes. I'm going to look it up for a little while, but oh my goodness, that is such a fun game. I mean, I I was hoping it would be able to come out again, but just to see it for sure coming out just makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to edit the podcast down and actually talk about it on the previous one, but it was literally like, we recorded the podcast, then the Nintendo Direct uh, dropped, and then I was actually putting the finishing touches on the podcast, so I couldn't do it for the last chapter. So I figured, hey, we'll, we'll give it a nice little shout-out this time. It, here's here's my favorite quote. I send this randomly out on my Twitter feed occasionally. Actually, I need to do this more often because it's, it's one of my favorite quotes. Eleanor, the blonde girl who hangs out with Virian, she says... Anyway, if our friend is in danger, we save them, even if it means punching out the president. That's Hollywood. Well, I love that quote so much. <laughs> when, when did uh, when did this game come out? Originally, like something like 2013, I think. To the Google machine, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, 2015. That was it. Was near the end of the Wii U. So it was about. <laughs> oh man, I ain't get, I, let's not talk about today's <clears throat> political climate. Anywho, um, no, we aren't. <laughs> was there anything else? Was there anything else from the direct that you were looking forward to? Oh, it's been two weeks, so my mind has gone completely blank on what else happened at the direct. But like, I just remember leaving, thinking Tokyo Mirage Sessions is the biggest thing I'm excited about. It's cool that Deadly Premonitions Two of all things got announced just randomly in the middle of the direct, because I know that's a big cult favorite. But I, that's not something I'm interested in. But it's cool that that exists. I hear, I've heard a lot about both those games, but again, I know nothing about them. I'm not really interested in them either. As for right now, it's it's not really my jam. But we've talked about Nintendo Direct, what's sort of been happening. What have you, uh, what have you been playing? I met, finally managed to finish the Black Eagle route, and we're as soon as you finish that route, I have a feeling that's going to be the topic of a podcast. So that's just something, a sneak preview of what's to come. Uh, I have been playing borderlands 3 that one just came out borderlands 2 i don't know if i've talked about on this podcast but borderlands 2 is one of my all-time favorite games so i've been really looking forward to borderlands 3 and i haven't finished it yet but i'm enjoying it so far the gun designs are so fantastic and some of the gun mechanics are so much more improved i love the some of the new elemental systems i'm playing as the siren right now and i'm enjoying her powers i love how customizable the powers are now it's not just one power that you have just go down a tree branch on to upgrade there is still that element but you could switch out the powers so that the main power feels like it's completely different as you go along instead of like with borderlands one you had like one power and you just do slight like elemental or power modifications to it in this one you have you start off with three main powers and each tree branch has like three or four different modifications of that one power so they're probably like 12 different powers per character if i had to guess each character feels different you could switch up the powers at the drop of a hat i'm enjoying it a whole lot. I'm still playing Fire Emblem more than anything, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I remember playing Borderlands 1 back on the 360 with you and uh, two uh, two other of our friends, and 
y'all were having the time of your life and I played it for like 10 hours. I was playing it with you. I was just like, man, I do not like this. This is so boring. And I think the big problem with me is like all the guns that I was getting in that game were like the same gun, just like a slight variation. And they were all weaker than what I already had. So I'm just like, here we go again. Here's this bullet sponge boss. Here's my crappy ability. Yay, we did it. Yay, I got a gun I can't use. It's just... That is by far the biggest problem with one. One is so weaker compared to the to two and three. I'm not going to count pre-sequel. Pre-sequel doesn't count. But I think Borderlands 2 is just such a huge upgrade. I think it'd be worth playing that with you. I'd love to do that with you sometime, but I know you're not interested. But two is great. I think three just follows along. I don't know if it's an improvement overall, because I think two just was the total package with like the characters and the DLC, some of the best DLC ever, ever in any game was from Borderlands 2. Dear Lord, the tiny teeny the, like Dungeons and Dragons D Dungeons and Dragons DLC was literally maybe the greatest DLC I've ever played. No, I take that back. Citadel from Mass Effect 3 is the best DLC ever because that's the canon ending. But uh, I've gotten too far off topic. Borderlands 3 is a good game. I would recommend it when you're not playing Fire Emblem. Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, like I've I've been, uh, I think I mentioned it last chapter, I've basically been dabbling a little bit with Final Fantasy VIII, and then, like, Super Nintendo games were added to the Switch's online service, so I decided, you know what, it's finally time for me to kind of, like, dive into Super Metroid, and so i kind of been playing it, I've been playing those two games pretty much on and off, and of course, you know, mixing it with uh, Three Houses as well, it's been, um, been fun, I'm actually using that rewind feature a lot uh, for Super Metroid, and I think it's because... I played, uh, what's the Game Boy Advance one? Metroid Fusion. And so, like, my mind is still kind of, muscle memory. My muscle memory for that game is kicking in. And so I'm like, so I'm like, okay, you hold R plus this for missiles, but it's not that in that game because you have four buttons versus two buttons on the GBA's face and the button, like, layout's throwing me off. So I keep screwing up with things. And so I've been using the rewind feature and I've actually changed uh, a couple of things because uh, you can actually change the button layout in game. But other than that, not too much. I forgot the the Super Nintendo thing came out since we last podcasted. I've been playing Super Mario World a bit, and I've been enjoying that rewind f- feature. Coincidentally, I have not been hit once in that game, and I'm on like the third world in that game. Totally by coincidence, totally not by cheating. I would like to say that Mila's turn will walk, so that the rewind feature for the Super Nintendo and Nintendo apps for the Switch could run. Thank you, Fire Emblem. Thank you. You owe us. Exactly. Fire Emblem is the cause of all good things in this world. We have once again proven. Scientific fact. Thus, all franchises are now um, Fire Emblem. We did it. We took over. (laughs) We will take over and every game will have an avatar character who you might may or may not be able to customize, but who will have some sort of impact on the story. Maybe, maybe not, depending on what game it is and how it works out. Which brings us to the main topic that we're going to we're going to discuss today, and that is the avatar slash player characters that have been popular in more recent entries. What is your history with the player character? Uh, I have played everything that has a player character except for the one that did not come to America with uh, Mystery of the New Emblem. As I've said, it's the very first game I played with Fire Emblem Seven. Your tactician who gets a name and occasionally gets to interact with people or gets interacted with i should say i played of course played awakening and fates and the avatar characters and all the things that came with that getting to actually be on the battlefield and use magic and swords and be powerful at everything and now i'm playing uh, three houses and i'm enjoying my time with byleth despite some of my problems with it i think i've been 
I've enjoyed Avatar characters overall, I think. How was your opinion on playing as them? Mine is a mixed bag. I mean, there's a lot of times where I feel like, again, not just in Fire Emblem, but I think a lot of characters, or a lot of the uh, player characters, avatars, uh, silent protagonists, they, I feel like sometimes they pander to the player too much. And obviously, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to a couple of the characters later. Uh, sometimes those characters get pandered to a little bit too much where it feels like every single thing that the characters do, despite having interesting side stories and goals and objectives, they still somehow always have to revolve around you or make you the centerpiece, no matter like what their actual story is. And I think, you know, thinking about it to Awakening, the title's called Fire Emblem Awakening, and the big thing in that game for Krom is the Awakening Ceremony. You know, he has to basically, you know, endure was like the fires of Naga or something like that. So he can get the exalted falchion. And then in the end of that game, it's just like, oh, by the way, despite this terrible ordeal that you've gone through, this trial that you have passed, and despite the fact you gained all this power from it, the best you can do is put Grima to sleep. You're kind of, uh, it becomes like, oh, well, only Robin, the avatar, the chosen one, can be the one to actually end Grima once and for all. And I, it's not so bad in Awakening, but in Fates is where it goes off the deep end. But I said we were going to talk about all the player characters in the series. But So we have to kind of like peel it back. 2003. The first six entries in Fire Emblem doesn't actually feature a player character or an avatar. They basically feature a lord or lords. And you basically uh, follow their journey throughout the game. It wasn't until 2003's uh, Fire Emblem of the Blazing Blade or the Blazing Sword uh, that we'd actually see our first tactician. His name is Mark. Um... Mark is, I don't know, he's, he's a tactician, but he really doesn't involve himself too much. I mean, you get sort of like yes and no decisions, and you can pretty much decide, I can't remember, do you decide if they're male or female? No, I don't, you don't even get to decide that. You get to choose what your name is and what month you were born in. That's it. Yeah, I mean, Mark, it, it's kind of weird because I almost feel like Mark, despite his sort of like minimalist appearance in the story... Because he's still there in scenes, and we still see him with everyone, unless, you know, you were like me and accidentally selected no on Tactician. Um, and you still see him there with scenes, and he's interacting, and he speaks with Lynn and Hector and Elliewood, and he'll speak with Wait. other characters, huh? I, I just, my brain blocked out for a minute. Yes, you can change the genders. I remember because I think it affects, like, one line of Sane's dialogue towards you. Oh, oh, yep, yep, it does, because he tries to flirt with you. I forget. I, I always forget that you can choose gender in that game. But it's not, it's it's pretty much negligible because Mark still just looks the same. Like Mark doesn't even have like official art of any kind. Mm-hmm. He's he wears like a green cloak and has brown hair. That's all we get. I actually joke that he that based on that tiny sprite, he could easily be Felix from Golden Sun. <laughs> that that is my headcanon for what he actually looks like. Obviously, he doesn't, but. And I've seen artists kind of do, like, their own little versions of Mark throughout the years, but it would be nice if we could get, you know, some official art. But, yeah, we know from, basically, the interactions with Lynn and Elliewood that, you know, Mark's a really caring guy. He's a dear friend, but, like I said, there's really not too much to him, and it's kind of weird that somehow, despite all those things against him, I almost feel like he's maybe the best version of the player character that we've actually seen done so far. I agree in that it feels like with Mark there, you feel like you are sort of inserted into the story. You do have little one-on-one -on -one moments with Lynn or Elliewood, and but that's really all. You don't affect the story at all. Your role is to direct the troops on the field. That is all you do. And at the end, you're acknowledged for your greatness because I am the greatest tactician in the history of the world. That's all 
I think that's all that is needed. That is the baseline of just like you're in the story. You have, have no effect on the actual story. You control the troops on the field. That is it. I hate to say it, but I almost feel like he should have been a marriage option for Lynn. Because outside of um, Fire Emblem 7, like you hear Lynn just go on about the tactician, about, you know, they're he's the, he's her dear friend and how much you know she misses him and all that stuff you when you have the conversation like that and when you have the conversation with ellie wood during his sort of coronation ceremony like those special one-on-one conversations it feel like that could have been a thing and maybe that's something they were considering at one point but i'm okay i'm very much okay with the fact that we're we're the tactician. We're not in this game. We get to leave this world without having really affected it. Here's where we jump to 2010. A whole seven years would pass until we would see a player character again, this time in the form of Chris. Much like before, it, uh, you can choose male or female. Who, who is this? What what game is this from? I, I'm looking at my shelf of American Fire Emblem games. I don't remember there being a Chris in any of these. This is Fire Emblem and New Mystery of the Emblem, which is a remake of the second half of Fire Emblem 3, to sort of kind of like go back, when they brought Fire Emblem over to the Super Famicom or Super Nintendo, whatever, they remade the first game, called it Book 1, and then they added like a whole nother campaign, which is known as Book Number 2. Well, when they brought over Shadow Dragon, that was the entirety of Book 1. Shadow Dragon sold poorly here, so they opted not to bring that one over, in 2010 so when they made new mystery of the emblem they added well they added stuff from what's called bs fire emblem and maybe we'll talk about that one day but they added characters from bs fire emblem and as well as the second half so chris is from this that second half and his story is known as being quote lost to time ak he actually wasn't here originally but we wanted to add a player avatar thing again i don't know we go on fan fiction in this yeah pretty much yeah yeah um, I don't. I haven't played New Mystery of the Emblem, but the common thing that I hear about Chris is that he's a bootlicker. That I can kind of go for, because when I was searching for a support to do for this uh, podcast, I was like, well, why don't we do a conversation that Chris has, and all of it's just so... I'm the, more, I'm the royal guard. I'm Chris. Look at me. Anywho. But yeah, so if you're used to starting with Fire Emblem Awakening, and you see Robin's little hair color options and all that stuff, you could also do all that stuff with Chris first, so... Chris would actually be the very first playable avatar, and he has, you can select uh, gender, hair color, um, accessories, you can select his past, present, future, and that affects like his growth rates and all that stuff. And other than that, I mean, I really don't, I really can't say much about Chris. I mean, he doesn't really appear again outside of his own game, and it took him forever to get a Fire Emblem Cypher card, so he's obviously not popular from what I can tell. Well, I honestly did I had heard of New Mystery of the Emblem. I honestly, before we started doing research on this, I didn't know that had a playable Avatar character. I knew it was a remake of Book 2, but I did not know that they had added that to it. Yeah, they they basically make it so that, you know, oh man, Marth couldn't have done it without this guy. But the problem that I I have with that is it kind of comes off as a story hijack thing, where suddenly this established story of Fire Emblem 3 suddenly just had to have this, like you said, a fan fiction character in it. that He was there helping Marth the entire time, and it's just, I don't like it, honestly. And that is actually probably the core problem of any of the uh, any of these Avatar characters. That's how they all feel to a degree. It goes from being the story of Lords to the story of Lords and their friend who's super-duper important. The exception to this 
is Fire Emblem Fates, where they actually did go out of the way to build pretty much the entire story around your character. And we will get to that when we will get to that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the next the next um, playable character, and again, this is the one that everyone's familiar with, is Robin from Fire Emblem Awakening in 2012, or 2013, international audiences. Uh, so it would be the first time since 2003 that many would actually see an avatar. And a lot of people think that, oh man, Robin, the first playable avatar, but he's he's actually not. He's actually not. But since this is a, since Awakening is an original story, you know, the Avatar plays a much bigger role than the previous Avatars, which comes with some caveats, like I had mentioned, basically towards, you know, the end of the game where it's suddenly about, oh, Robin can save the day and Krom and Lucina can't do nothing. Yeah, that's the, that was the only big problem with Awakening. I loved Awakening. It's one of my favorite games, but near the end with the hijacking of the story a little bit. It is really disappointing to see because we had a really good, compelling story with, oh, we got time travel, we got Krom, we got Lucina, we got everything going on, and Robin is there. Robin is important. He's helping, he's being the tactician, and he's being the support that these characters need to help bind them together, help them fight this evil. Without him, they wouldn't be able to get it done, but it feels like a natural thing. It feels like he's the glue guy until we get to that point in the game. And Lucina, Lucina ends off worse because she doesn't get Jack. She doesn't get an exalted falchion. She doesn't get like um, she doesn't get anything at all. The only way she gets her due is through that DLC, and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's it's not Heirs of Fate. That's Fire Emblem Fates. It's um, Future Past. That's what it is. Yeah, she doesn't get her actual due until Future Past. And even then, that's an alternate scenario of an alternate scenario. Yeah. Overall, Robin is a pretty good avatar. I. I might even go so far as to say it's the best of all of the avatars. I, I think I can make that argument, but just that last part of that game, that last like 10% of that game prevents it from being like a 10 out of 10 perfect avatar use of an avatar character. Yeah. Cause I mean, Crom and Robin's relationship is really good, except for if you're female Robin with their support chain, uh, which we've mentioned, go listen to that one. I'm sure we'll get, plenty, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get plenty of heat for that. Yeah, so their their friendship's built up from the very start of the game all the way until the end of the game. Oh, fun fact, though. Did you know Robin's kid's name in Japanese is named Mark? I believe I did know that at some point, but I'm, Morgan is a good general neutral name, so I'm okay with that change. Yeah, I thought, I was, I was, well, it's kind of funny because Robin gets found out on the field. Um, Morgan or, you know, Mark, whatever you want to say, gets found out on the field. And then the original Mark also gets found on the field, so... I mean, it's a, it's a neat little throwback. Awakening takes place in the same timeline as Fire Emblem 7, confirmed. Oh, well. <laughs> but, actually, Cardwiz, did you know we got a Twitter comment? What, 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 what? Please, enlighten us. What is the Twitter comment? We, we try to send out messages to like, hey, reach out to us, and we'll try to, to comment on any questions you have. Let's do that now. First so, chance to do this. Fantastic. Yeah. So you can hit us up at Emblem Supports or me at Plan Ordo or him at KD Corley on the good old Twitter. And so I put out a feeler seeing how people felt about avatar characters and player car- player characters in general. And so I got this one from Joanne Risu at Joanne Ecurial. Uh, you know what? I'll put it in the description. <laughs> oh, no. So they, they say... <clears throat> While I enjoy player characters in general, one has to keep in mind how they inf- how they affect a team's ability, talk about developers, 
to convey a story in both writing and visualization, including the possible prioritization of the player character story over principal characters as an obligation to the player slash fan. Well put. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason why I put this you know, before we go on to our next player character. <laughs> Whereas Robin was basically just kind of like a sidekick character until the end, uh, Corrin takes full center stage. You know, uh, the story's all about Corrin, which is both a positive and a negative, because it was nice. I remember it being nice um, that, oh man, they're finally going you know, all in on the Avatar. And the entire cast just, Warships Corin, which if like you're her retainer or his retainer, um, say like Jacob or Kaze or Felicia, you know whatever that makes sense that they would you know really lo- really like their person that they serve as many of the many of the characters do the same uh, for the characters that they serve. Everyone just loves Corin out the gate for no reason. Even characters that haven't seen Corin for like ages or whatever are suddenly just drawn to Corin like they're the end all, the be all, and it's just. For me personally, it takes me out of the experience, and I feel like the story, all three stories, wholly suffer because of it. I love the idea of Corrin. I love the idea of the Avatar being you're the central character, and you have the choice of the different families, the different routes you want to take. I love the idea of it. It feels like just it feels like a normal JRPG. It feels like like a Dragon Quest or something like that, where you're. J- you are the main character. You're going on this adventure. You get to make some choices along the way, but like all RPGs, when your character is the main focus, when you're putting that much of an emphasis on story and choices, if the writing is not good, if the characterization isn't good, if the characters are not good, oh my goodness, dear Lord, it suffers. And Fates just suffers the most because it has, I assume, I would assume it was because they split it into three separate games, but the writing in those games is not great. The story and the characters suffer from it all. And Corin gets a lot of the blame for that. And I totally get why, because so much of the writing is centered around Corin. So Corin just looks like a bad character. I maintain Corin is a good idea. Fates could have been a good game, but dear Lord, that writing sucked. And honestly, I actually like Corin, female Corin. I don't like male Corin at all. Voice is too whiny for me. Um, but I actually like female Corrin in in um, what is it um, Fire Emblem Warriors for whatever reason. Like you took you take Corrin out of Fates, and it's actually and she's actually just fine. I think the problem is they had the story split between too many characters, and like I I don't think you needed all the Fates Royals. Like you could have just had Rioma, Xander, maybe Leo. But basically, there's too many Fates Royals, and it doesn't know whether they wanted to split the story between our avatar Corrin or Azura. Cause I almost feel like Azura would have been like the perfect main character for this. Yeah. Azura could have been a main character, but she gets pushed off to the side in favor of Corrin. So we don't get enough of you are the ocean's great ways. Da, 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 on, on the shore. Wherever that's ever that song goes. Dear Lord, I haven't heard that song in like five years, but I still have it in my head. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I actually like the song. Me, me too. But a lot of people I don't think it. it's good enough to. I don't think it's good enough to be stuck in my head for five years. Yeah, it's just it feels like they did not quite have their focus down. Maybe we'll go through a one of the Fates games sometime down the line. Who knows? But, maybe I won't hate it as much, or maybe I'll hate it more. Ooh, maybe I'll be able to justify my hate even more than before. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so finally we come to who I think is like the successor to Mark and current protagonist, Byleth. Um, they kind of peeled Byleth back. So Byleth really doesn't have a voice of their own. Sure, you can make choices within the within like the dialogue trees, but a lot of it doesn't have any sort of effect at all. Much like with Mark, uh, you can no longer change out their uh, appearance either. You know, save for you know the DLC, but like you're not changing their hair color or their voice or anything like that. They have like a flat blank slate. Blank is the right word for it because. They tend to come off as really emotionless in a lot of the cutscenes and dialogues. Just, just the blank male or female, green-haired face staring back at you or staring at characters. And I'm not. Sh- I know how I feel about it. I'm honestly okay with that. I don't mind a silent protagonist. I do hate some co- support conversations where they're like, "Oh, you're so funny, Byleth," and it's just like, "Wait, what? What? What?" I have not done anything funny. This Look at that face. That's a face that's never done or thought anything funny in their lives. The problem with Byleth is a puzzle piece in that game. They Byleth is not the center of that game. The lords aren't the center of that game. The church isn't the center of that game. All of the pieces in that game are just puzzle pieces to create the big puzzle. And Byleth is just some pieces in that. And I'm okay with that. I think that is a deep... Three Houses does a decent job of balancing out the importance of the tactician, the avatar character, the importance of the lords, the importance of the side characters, the importance of the world as a whole. Three Houses is trying to do a job of juggling 50 different things at once, and I think it does a fairly successful job with that. I do have problems with that avatar, like we've discussed before last time, how we have an emotional moment with Geralt, the father character, when Spoiler alert, the father dies in a Fire Emblem game. But we don't really see it. We get like a moment of Byleth crying and it's implied it's the first time he's ever cried. And But we don't really get to feel that attachment. There's a conversation you can have with uh, Liori at the... I think it's her sea support conversation. Where she's like, you were raised by Geralt. Geralt's your father, right? And like your responses are like, yeah, I guess it's something like that is is basically like that like you're so you feel so detached by Byle- feels detached from the world so it makes you feel a little bit detached from things and that's the part where Byleth fails not not fails but struggles i've actually been thinking about this I'm trying to feel and i was trying to come up with an apt comparison because Byleth isn't like i mean obviously we can make the comparison to mark but obviously mark's just a small 2d sprite that we hardly see so i was trying to think you know what would be an apt, aptly good comparison? And I was shocked to to figure out who it actually was that I thought you know they could learn from. And this may surprise you, Cardwiz, because I've went on not not on here, but on record, being like I hate this character and I don't like this character. But Luger from Tales of Zelia Two. Hmm. I could I could see the Luger. There are de- there are definitely Luger comparisons to be made from Zelia Two with. You you do get choices throughout that game, but you still have the silent protagonist, and you're mostly interacting with other people, but you're still an integral part of the story. Th- there's definitely a Luger comparison to be made. But, but, I, I, but there's an app difference, like though. There's an app difference, I think, though. So you have, like, these skit conversations, and sometimes characters will be like, oh, yeah, well, what do you think? And you can either select one or the other. And so sometimes you'll select it, and Luger will have a smile, or he'll have, like, a, ah, or a, hmm. And he has, like, these... And he also has emotions too, 
where he's smiling or he's sad. And I know the story reason why Byleth is the way he or she is, but there becomes, there becomes, I I think after the father dies, like Byleth's emotions start opening up and stuff like that. So that's why I'm comparing this to Luger. So again, Luger is a drawn sprite, not a 3d model, but, um, Luger has, you know, expressions of happiness and sadness and frustration, even if he's not actually saying anything. Um, obviously, if you beat Zillia 2, you get an option to turn his voice on where he can say stuff during the skit conversations. Uh, that's beside the point. But that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, if they would have done Byleth like that and given him just a little bit more of like emotion or expression in his face, you may be able to connect with him just a little bit more. Now, I think the female version of Byleth is actually just a little bit more expressive. And I don't know if that's just me paying more attention to the female character, or maybe I'm just missing something in general. Here's the big difference I would say between Byleth and Luger is sort of what I was touching on. Byleth is just one part of this bigger story. Luger is kind of the central part, the biggest puzzle piece in Zillia two. And because it was the biggest piece, it just makes its flaws stand out all the more and crumble as a whole while Byleth is just one part of it. I think the fact that there's so much more emphasis on the other Lords and the other houses and the world and the church, it both covers up for Byleth's flaws a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I think that's just the one point I had. I I think I lost my other point. It it covers up for Byleth's flaws. It doesn't make them as big, as big a flaw as it, as it probably would have been otherwise. Yeah, and even through the two the two endings that I've got being blue, Li- I'm sorry, the three endings I've got blue lions, deer, and church path. There's never been a point where Byleth like hijacks the plot. Now there are now Byleth does have moments where it's like, okay, this is Byleth's moment, and it doesn't interfere with any other thing. But there's never been like that Robin moment where it's like, well, you know, <laughs> sorry, nothing you do really works. I am the actual hero, so uh, you know, do what you got to do. There's nothing like that. Yes, Byleth is a part of the story. Byleth isn't the story. Yeah. that's. I think that's why, in a succinct way, that's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there actually is one more player character, and that's um, the summoner, Kyrian from Heroes. But again, he's he's less than Mark, just a sprite with a summoner gun thing. There's no characterization behind him at all, not even yes or no choices. So, um, I fi- I'm, you know, he's a player character too, so I figure I would go ahead and mention him. You get to choose whether you want the green gem, the red gem, the blue gem, or the white gem. That's your choice. Which one has Virion? White gem. Okie doke. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Which one has Joshua? I believe that's red. (laughs) The answer is none of them because they gave away the gambler for free in a gotcha game. (laughs) Ha ha ha. No, but seriously, seriously, listen. I will join Heroes again if you guys will give me a Joshua alt. Please, just please. (laughs) Uh, that was a good uh, talk on avatars. I think we got our points across in a decently comprehensive fashion. Yeah. I probably rambled them a little much, but we got there in the end. So, I mean, going forward, let's 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 think about Fire Emblem Seventeen. What would you want from a, an avatar character, or would you want an avatar character at all? I think I do. Oh man, do I like the avatar characters? I don't think it's needed, but I'm okay with it. If it's like Byleth, I just give me Byleth again, but just with a few more emotions. Some of those Luger tweaks. Yes, just a few Luger tweaks. Just 
a keep Byleth as like a side part of the story, like you're like one B or like two on the list of things that are important. Just don't make the Avatar the focus unless you have better writing. But we've talked a lot about Avatar characters and player characters in general. And unfortunately, as I've said, you know, Mark really doesn't have a character of his own, but there is someone who likes to talk about him a lot, which is why I've chosen this support. It's nice, short, sweet. And it comes from Fire Emblem Warriors. It's a uh, support between Robin and Lynn. Um, Cardwiz, I'm going to have you do the Lynn voice, because as you know, I cannot do female voices for anything. And I've played Robin before, so uh, you got it opened up. Me, 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 me. Okay. Robin, are you okay after that fight? Let me take a look. I'm fine, thanks to you. You don't need to worry about me so much. Not all tacticians are helpless in battle. I've been in plenty of fights. I can take care of myself out there. I'm sorry, you're you're right. It's force of habit, I guess. That's a pretty intense habit. You watched me like a hawk. Not a single enemy got near me. What makes you so intent on protecting me? I'm just used to fighting that way. In my home world, I always kept the tactician close and safe. You triggered my natural instinct. So you travel with a tactician in your home world too? I do, and they're every bit as brilliant as you. Actually, you have a lot in common. I'd like to meet this tactician someday if I can. I'd love to compare theories on war and tactics and devise new strategies. I'd be glad to introduce you, but I must warn you, they can be a bit aloof. I'm not even sure they would carry on a conversation with you. Ah, the strong but silent side. But you're on good terms, right? Oh, sort of. They're always very quiet, even on the battlefield. Not everyone needs to talk to issue orders. I'm sorry, what? How does one order the troops without words? Good question. I can somehow always tell. It's like there's an invisible arrow. Are we talking about telepathy? This sounds like a very advanced tactician. I couldn't tell you. What I do know is that they're still in training. How strange. Though they do sound very important to you. So you understand why I get this sudden urge to protect you. You may not like it, but protecting you will make me feel better. Something tells me you won't take no for an answer. But I can't just stand around and let others fight for me. I want to be just as good as your telepathic tactician. I'm sure you can get there. But no matter how good you get, you'll still let me protect you, right? Of course, Len. If it'll make you feel better, I'll rely from you on now on. Just leave it to me, Robin. Nice, short, sweet. A little bit of, uh... It has me nostalgic missing Mark, you know? I'm disappointed in you that after you said very advanced technician, you didn't do a rimshot Game Boy Advance. Huh? Oh, they got uh, me on that one. I didn't even notice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a little bit a little bit of meta humor with like the arrows and stuff that you would actually get in the game and stuff too. Nice, short and sweet. It points out the fact that like, yeah, my technician is sort of telepathic, I guess. So that, that makes me smile a little bit. Explains how people can take the orders from all the way on the other side of the map. And how Mike, how Mark has an overhead view of everything. It's actually kind of a running joke because the um, the DLC version of Lynn in Fire Emblem Awakening, she also has some sort of similar conversation with you. She's like, oh, it's you, the tactician. I know you. And then you're like, well, no, it's not me because you select like yes or no answers for that. And she's like, oh, but you just remind me of them so much. So it's sort of an in-joke with that. And then there's actually a, another one with Robin where, um, is it Catalina? No, Katarina. She also infers that maybe Chris and Robin are like incarnations of each other as well. Wait a second. Are you saying like the player character, like us, we are in the game? 
We are the Avatars. Mind blown. I'm Chris. I'm Robin. I'm Mark. I'm not Corin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was just a fun and sweet support. And I thought it would be a little bit short compared to the juggernaut that's fixing to uh, enrapture us. And of course, that juggernaut will have to be continued. As you see, Cardwiz and I were kind of going over on time in our discussion, so we end up having to split this podcast into two parts. So, with that said, chapter to be continued.